0: Friends, if you would go ahead and turn in your pew Bible to the gospel according to John, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 38 to 44. It's a story that most folks recognize, but this is a part of the story that most folks don't pay any attention to. So if you would get there, I will pray for us and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. I have come to a pretty big revelation in my life this past week. I'm going to share it with you. I have decided that I cannot retire. <laughs> e- ever. Ever. No, I didn't say I was going to be here. I just said I can't retire, ever. It has also come to my attention, and I've made this observation, that the reason I cannot retire is that I do not possess the strength and energy and time that it takes to retire. I always thought that that us younger folks, those of us who are still raising our families, were about the busiest people on the planet. Because I was doing the math, and if you think about it, because of the way that my kids are spaced out, I have been changing diapers consecutively nonstop for the last decade. And In between those diaper changes has been homework, soccer games, Girl Scouts, pack lunches, teeth brushing, hours of searching for missing dolls and trains, parent-teacher conferences, pets, meals, balancing the checkbook, and keeping track of sun. There There is a reason why the Lee family Halloween decorations are still up. And that is because I finally managed to get them up at 6 p.m. Halloween evening, and we are all going to enjoy them until I get around to putting up the Christmas decorations. My whole point is that life at my age is just extremely busy. But then, then I talk to those of you who are retired around here. And it's almost as if you all have gone to some super secret class where they teach you the answer to this question. How is retirement going? Because it doesn't matter who I ask, or when I ask them, or where I ask them, you all have the same answer. I'm busier now than I have ever been. And that, my friends, is why I simply cannot and will not retire, because I can't imagine being any busier than I am in this particular moment. Busyness is our true American idol. We are so proud of being busy. It is a badge of honor. If you're not busy, something is definitely wrong with you. And there is no sermon in the world, no Bible study, no nothing that is going to convince us to give up the thrill of busyness. So I'm not even going to try. Let's just all start from the same page. We're all equally busy people. And even if we'll only admit to it in the depths of our secret hearts, we love it that way. But what we do in our busyness and what we do with our busyness is something that we need to pay attention to. We have to give some thought as to how we might redeem our time in the midst of our busy lives. Some of us might think, well, this is just a matter of organization, If we could just get ourselves organized and get ourselves on a schedule, we'll have time for everything. Boy Scouts gets this time, and golf gets this time, and a lunch date gets this day, and the dentist gets some time far, far, far off in the future. And we plan like that. That's how we do our lives. But when we plan like that, then we're also tempted logically to plan in some time to spend with God. We call that God time, and and for lack of a better word, we call that God time church. And if we're feeling particularly generous some weeks with our God time, we throw in a little Bible study here, a little prayer group there, but definitely that time cannot be on a Sunday afternoon when our favorite football team is playing because let's be honest, football time is important time, right? On particularly busy weeks, even planned weeks, It's really hard not to say, you know, I'm just too busy to pray right now. And that's where we need to think about how we view both prayer and time. Prayer is a conversation. It's a chance for us to pour our hearts out before God. And sometimes we think, I'm not going to pray because prayer is all about confession. It doesn't have to be all confession all the time. Nor should prayer be all about asking for stuff all the time. Prayer is an opportunity for us to share thankfulness and joy and hope. And as we grow in faith, prayer becomes second nature, not exclusively reserved for just a certain time on a Sunday morning. I want you to think about your other relationships, your person-to-person relationships. Now let's say that you and a friend meet up and you go out for dinner one night. You go out, you have a fabulous time, great food, interesting conversations, a few laughs. Now, when you get to the end of the night and you're walking out of the restaurant, how many times have you stopped in that moment, pulled out your calendar, checked your phone for the time, and realized that you have scheduled five minutes right there to bring that relationship to a close? Nobody ever says, gee, Marie, this is the appropriate time for me to say, or this is the time that I have set aside to say, thanks for coming out tonight. I appreciate your friendship. It was a good meal. Nobody ever does that. We don't schedule that kind of relationship with our friends and with our family. We don't think about when is the appropriate time to have that heartfelt conversation. That would be weird. And so we won't do that with our close friends, or for that matter, we won't do that for anybody except for God, because apparently we've decided that God needs to have a designated time when it is appropriate for us to talk to God. And since we've determined that God needs to be scheduled into our lives, it's very easy to push God out of the schedule. Again, nobody ever says to their friend, I would love to conclude our time together with the appropriate social convention of goodbye, but my schedule dictates that I must be on to something else right now. None of you have ever done that. It's not going to happen because that's not how we treat each other, but it is how we are willing to treat God. So what would happen? Just go with me on this crazy idea. What would happen if we actually lived the way that we say that we believe? We say that we believe that God is always with us. What would happen if we lived our lives as though that was an actual reality? Which, by the way, it is. What would it be like if God was standing there for every conversation we ever had? If he was there in the carpool line, at the bar, on our living room couch? That way, that way, talking with God would happen in the midst of our life, not over and against the rest of our lives. Jesus was a pretty busy guy. He was so busy that he got himself into trouble with his dear friends Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus, he's dying, we need you. Jesus had a lot of stuff going on. He was trying to get there. But when he shows up, when he finally gets to town, Mary's first words are, Lord, if you had been here, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And from there, in this story in John, the movement starts to go really, really fast. Jesus immediately starts heading to the tomb, and he's weeping. He's weeping for his friend Lazarus. And in the midst of all of this, there's all of these onlookers. All these people who are speculating and commenting and trying to grab Jesus' attention along the road. And, And they're torn between speculating that Jesus really did love Lazarus And that perhaps Jesus doesn't have the power to save him. Now I want you to consider all that's happening in a very short amount of time. We have two grief-stricken women, understandably so. They're in that part of grief that consumes them with anger and denial and blame. Jesus did not walk into a calm situation. This is a busy situation. There's a lot going on here. He has to get from their house to Lazarus' tomb, which puts him, puts him out on the road and out in the world. And anytime you go out in the world, there's going to be all kinds of stuff competing for your attention and your time. He's on a mission, but all along the way, he's got these people who are speculating and talking and seeking his attention. And then he finally arrives at the tomb where his friend lies dead. Scripture says, Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and there was a stone lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there's already a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. You know, sometimes we justify our busyness out of necessity, right? We have to be busy because it's it's just a necessity. You know, the kids have to eat and their, their homework has to be done and they have to get to and this has to happen and I have to, have to, have to. It's a necessity. Martha is opposed to any action here because she knows that there's going to be a stench involved. When you think of what that smell must have been like, if you had anything to do with that tomb, your necessity is to get this done as quickly as humanly possible and be done with it. But Jesus, Jesus just looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you. I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you have sent me. In all of this messiness, and this hurriedness, and this rush, Jesus looks upwards, and he starts talking to the Father. And it's really interesting that the first thing that we have recorded in Scripture is, I thank you for having heard me. Well, from what we've read in the Scripture, this is the first, first quote in regards to this situation, where Jesus is talking to God. So what does he mean when he says, I thank you that you've, you've heard me? Has he said something already? Absolutely. This seems to indicate that there was some kind of previous ongoing conversation between Jesus and the Father. And it also seems to indicate that Jesus already knows what the outcome of this is going to be. Him saying this out loud is not for Jesus' benefit. He says that much in the scripture. It's for the sake of the crowd that's standing there, so that they may believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. This is an ongoing conversation that we just happened to catch the tail end of. It wasn't a long prayer, and it's probably not the whole prayer. The conversation between Jesus and the Father must have been taking place all along while all of this other stuff was happening. But how? And, and where? And, and when? Jesus' earthly life was so in tune with God. So in tune with God, there was never a time up until this point where Jesus was apart from the Father, They were always on the same frequency. So even in this situation, even with all of these people in various states of grief and gossip and action and opportunity, Jesus is talking to God in his heart. The part that we hear really is just the conclusion to a conversation that we've been unaware of previously. And the only reason that we're hearing it at all is so that when Jesus makes his next move, we'll know right away that the Father has acted. And that they have already previously discussed what's going to happen. Scripture says that when he had said this out loud, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. For all the things and all the ways that we can look at this scripture today, let's focus on how Jesus used his time when it came to prayer. Prayer was an ongoing, ever-present dialogue. It was so natural and so built into the DNA of Jesus. Prayer was never over and against something else, some other activity. It was a part of everything that Jesus did. It was life. The reality is, we pray more than we know. We discourage ourselves when we think that prayer is only effective when it's set apart, when it's scheduled into our lives. Quite the contrary. God's heart is that he would be a part of everything, not some compartment in the overall picture of our lives. Now, I want to be clear about this. You most certainly can set aside specific time to pray. There is nothing wrong with that. Jesus did that as well. It was good for him, and it's good for us. But I want to assure you that that is not the only way that you can talk with the Father. If you believe in God, you've already begun to pray, to enter into this dialogue with him, because believing in God means believing that he is always present, always listening to what you say. To come to believe is to begin to pray because of the constancy of God's presence with us. And God cares about relationships. He's deeply invested in his relationship with you. And if the pressure... If the pressure that comes with setting aside a specific time and place to pray creates in you a stress or a resentment or guilt on your part towards God, he'd much rather just walk with you through your day. He'll go with you to the grocery store. He'll go with you to the golf course. He'll go with you in fishing. He's extraordinarily generous like that. That said, the reality in which we exist with God is that we're never speaking or acting in his absence, no matter how much we wish that was true. The psalmist said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. However, God sometimes, sometimes makes us feel as if we are away from him, even if that's not what's really happening. You know, a couple weeks ago, I confessed my sins. I told you all about my little run in with the Manatee County Sheriff's Office. You all laughed at me as though you were all sin free on this front. But let me ask you something. Let's just be honest here. Just you and me, nobody else. Pay attention to anybody else's answer. Do you ever drive differently when you see a police officer on the road? Do you? Um, why do you do that? Why do you do that? It's not because all of a sudden you've had a change of heart. It's not because you've had this come-to-Jesus moment where you're like, now I see I should be a good driver. No, you do that so that you don't get a ticket. That's why you change. Well, see, God, God's not about forced compliance. God is so immense that if he were too visible, people would give forced compliance without expressing their heart. So God makes it possible, an enormous love, for us to live as if he was not there. God wants to be there. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be a part of your day and your daily living, but not if that means doing it by force. So when it comes to prayer, God would much rather a quick but heartfelt honest prayer as you run to drop off your dry cleaning than he would a two-hour forced prayer where you spend one hour and 59 minutes at that place in resentment and anger and complaint. The goal of prayer is to live all of my life and to speak all of my words in the joyful awareness of the presence of God. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father was listening not just when he prayed, but all the time whenever he spoke. God was always responding to Jesus' words, whether they were addressed to the Father or whether they were addressed to somebody else. For Jesus, the line, the line between praying and speaking was so very thin. Sometimes when Jesus healed a person, he would speak directly to the person that he was healing. And sometimes he would speak directly to his Father. It really didn't matter. Because he was always speaking in front of the Father, and the Father was always responding. God is the constant, gracious listener to our every thought, and prayer begins when we bring what we most naturally think about before God. So if we're going to insist on busyness, and we're going to pride ourselves on our schedule, we need to redeem our time and make that time worth it something the way to do that to redeem our time and to give it meaning is to do it as if god was right there with us ready to talk with us when we are because in reality he is to god be the glory now and forevermore amen